This is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. Joining us for episode 57 is Jungian analyst and filmmaker Peter Amon in Arau, Switzerland. He is currently a lecturer, training analyst, and supervisor at the International School of Analytical Psychology in Zurich, where he is also in private practice. After training as a cellist in Paris, he attended the University of Zurich, where he earned a PhD in musicology and in the history of religion and ethnology. He wrote his doctoral thesis on the musical theory and philosophy of Robert Flood. While in analysis with Yolanda Jacobi, Dr. Amen was encouraged by Jung himself to pursue analytic training. He eventually went on to attend the C.G. Jung Institute Zurich, where his training analyst was Marie-Louise von Franz. He spent four years in Rome working alongside Federico Fellini, and later became an independent filmmaker and collaborator of Television Swiss Romande in Geneva and a member of the Swiss Film Board. His work on Fellini's film The Satyricon is beautifully detailed in an article by Giovanni Sorge titled A Swiss Analyst in Cinecitta. Peter Amen speaks of Fellini, Mastorna, Satyricon, and Africa in Volume 25-3 of the San Francisco Jung Institute Library Journal. Inspired by the work of Sir Lawrence Vanderpost, whom he met in 1984, Dr. Amon traveled throughout Namibia and Botswana, where he made several documentary films on the Bushmen, including Spirits of the Rocks and Living in Two Worlds, Communication Between a White Healer and Her Black Counterparts. At the request of psychiatrist and Jungian analyst Vera Berman, Dr. Amen went to South Africa in 1990 to begin giving seminars and lectures at the Jung Center in Cape Town, which he still continues to this day. At the IAAP Congress in 2007, he organized workshops that brought together Jungian psychotherapists and traditional African healers. In the February 2020 issue of the Journal of Analytical Psychology, a four-part series by Dr. Amen, two other analysts, and an African healer was published, entitled Encountering the Other, Jungian Analysts and Traditional Healers in South Africa. Videos of their dialogues in Cape Town are available on the Southern African Association of Jungian Analysts website. Those topics and more are the subjects of our talk today. This interview is being recorded on Wednesday, March 18th, 2020, through the magic of Skype. Dr. Amin, you are, from what we know, the only living Jungian analyst currently in 2020 who actually met Jung. So I was wondering if you would share with us that story. Yeah, it's incredible, but it's true. Uh, You know, I was uh, studying music. I was uh, wanted to become a cellist, and uh, after a while, I uh, decided to get uh, in touch with a Jungian analyst, and I was uh, really happy that I could contact Yolanda Jacobi. And while I was still continuing my studies in Paris, every once in a while I saw her 
And one day, and that was in 1956, when I was 25, that she said, I think you should go and see Jung. And she wrote a letter to Anela Jaffe, and I got an appointment, not an analytical hour, but just a visit. And so one day in April 1956, I was uh, invited to go and see Jung in his house. And, uh, and he invited you? I got an invitation from Aniela Jaffe. And she is... At the she, time, she was Jung's secretary. She was, she, she was Jung's uh, collaborator and, and uh, secretary. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And there I was, and uh, then I was uh, on the first floor in a waiting room, and Jung appeared. <clears throat> he was 81 at the time. And he how had, old were you? I was 25. Okay. <clears throat> And he had a few months before lost his wife, Emma. Mm. I remember that very well. Mm -hmm. He had a black uh, ribbon on his arm. And uh, <clears throat> then he said in his typical uh, Swiss Basel dialect, what do you want? And I said that I would... <clears throat> Yeah, I like to talk to him because I was still studying music, but I was not so sure if that was my uh, vocation. And uh, that I even was uh, playing with the idea to study uh, Jungian psychology. And uh, then <clears throat> he, to my great surprise, made the following associations. He said, you know, Music has to do with listening. And then he made a link between what in German means das Gehör and Gehorsam. The, the English verb obey comes from the, the Latin obediere, which means to give ear, to listen. To give ear, to obey, Jung went on, leads to what is called obedience. Thus, in a <clears throat> very subtle way, and surprisingly, Jung suggested that I should listen to my inner music, to my inner voices. So that was the beginning. And uh, it took me still another couple of years until I started studying Jungian psychology. So that's the first important thing I remember. And then we spoke for one hour about in his library. And towards the end, I remember, he showed me down to, and, and uh, said, uh, you know, there are so many things in uh, psychotherapy and psychiatry I do not know anymore. And I took this always as a sign of modesty. I do not know everything. I focused on certain important things. And that's why I think nobody should tell me, okay, uh, Jung did not do this or that. You should not do this or that because Jung did not do that, let's say, in psychotherapy. 
he was had a certain modesty and he had to focus on the things he was interested in. Yeah. That was for me uh, the beginning and the end of this uh, hour was, uh, that was the, so to say, the legacy, the most of things he gave to me. And he spent time with you that day. He saw you because you were an analysand of Yolanda Jacobi? I think so. I think so. It might also be that because my grandfather was a pioneer of, uh, uh, he was a famous pediatrician. And uh, Yolanda Jacobi gave attention to important things like mm -hmm. that. You know, mm -hmm. he's the grandson of of uh, Emil Fair, who was a pioneer in pediatrician. He was the first one to, to specialize and to have a, a medical practice just for children in Switzerland. Oh, so, I see. So it might be that, um, I, I, don't, I do not know. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, it's astonishing that, that, that I could go and see him. How did you meet Yolanda Jacobi? And, and also, would you tell us a little bit about her relationship with Jung? At the time, I would have had the, the, the courage <clears throat> to uh, try to, to get in contact with Jung, Jung directly because I, I always wanted to, uh, to meet important people and to get inspired. But I knew that his health was not very good. Mm -hmm. And so I, I thought, I, I looked up in the library of my very old grandfather and I discovered that book uh, Yolande Jacobi wrote on Jung's psychology. Yes. Took it and opened it and so on. And then I looked in my telephone book and I called her and, and I, I went to see her. And then she treated me in a way that it was absolutely natural that a week I would uh, return, uh, and and I was happy. Yeah, uh, happy. My Yolanda Jacobi uh, came from a, a Jewish family. From uh, uh, she was from Hungary originally, then from Vienna, and uh, just before the war, apparently she she came to Switzerland with very little money. Mm. And and then she became uh, one of uh, the important and famous disciples of Jung. The, she was an, an analyst who uh, nowadays many would say she is she was too pushy. You see? Too pushy. Pushy. I mean, she 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 was the the contrary of a Freud analyst. Oh, I see. And uh, and you can uh, you see she pushed me to go and see Jung, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I'm very grateful to that. I mean, that that was unique. Huh? I love what you said about wanting to meet or spend time with important people. Important yeah. people, right? I feel the same way. And you said it's because you want to become inspired by them. And my whole life. I've done that too, for that very same reason. And people looking in from the outside can sometimes mistake that for other ulterior motives. But I really liked what you said, because that is a great way of explaining it is that I too, am inspired by great and important figures. And in fact, I'm just going to skip to something and we'll come back to it later. 
in preparation for this episode, I watched two DVDs of you speaking. Um, the first was an interview that you did with the filmmaker, and I believe he's now a Jungian analyst himself, Lewis Morris. Uh, he made a series of DVDs, uh, conversations with Jungian analysts from Zurich. It's called Jungian Speaking. And the second DVD that I watched was your 85th birthday lecture that you gave at ISAP Zurich, which was filmed, and it is wonderful. It's full of footage and you speaking about all the people that inspired you, Jung being one of them. And so we can get back to that a little later, but just to finish up, so after that meeting you had with Jung, did you you started reading his books or you went straight away to apply for training at the Jung Institute? How did no, that happen? No, no, no. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I, I am and I was and I'm still am a slow uh, man. And uh, it took me as, a, 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 this meeting with Jung happened in 1956. And I started studying at the Jung Institute in 1958, you see. So it took me another two years to make up my mind and to listen to my inner music and to follow that way which was, so to say, inspired in mm -hmm. a way this meeting with Jung. Mm -hmm. So you said that you studied the cello and then you worked on your PhD at the University of Zurich. You studied music, um, but you also studied religion, the history of religion and ethnology. And would you tell us a little bit about why you chose that background? Uh, you know, I, I, studied, I, I decided to study musicology because I was a musician. But my cello diploma did not help me uh, to fulfill the requirements of the Jung Institute. Mm, okay. I needed, I needed a doctorate. And so I thought this is the way I can do it because at the uni, uh, University of Zurich, uh, the professor of psychology and, and philosophy was not a friend of Jungian psychology, to put it mildly. Oh, my. Okay. So I, I, I studied uh, uh, musicology. And uh, my, my my other interests, you know, uh, yeah, ethnology and uh, and uh, history of religion. That was because we have to choose uh, secondary topics. What was it like in the fifties and the sixties when Jung was still alive and Jungian psychology was new? Right, it was relatively new, and. What was the sentiment there? It was a very small population of Jungians. How was yes. it received? I mean, looking back, of course, it was a small population. Uh, you must imagine uh, the Institute was founded in 1948. And now I started 10 years later, which seems okay. a long time. But, but we were still uh, a very small group. I mean, if you go to the, well, the psychological club in Zurich now, which now is in the same building as at the time there was the Jung Institute, this is a room where maybe 30, 40 people maximum could gather. Yes. yes. So, but we had all the, the well-known people 
lecturing Yolanda Jacobi, Marie Lucy von Franz, Barbara Hanna, uh, Karl Kerini, Erich Neumann, and so on. And that was, of course, uh, fantastic. Huh? Yes, and you got to meet them and attend their lectures. And I don't believe I've asked anybody this on the podcast before. There is a statement that is attributed to Jung, where he said, I'm glad that I'm Jung and not a Jungian. And when people come at me with that statement, I just kind of walk away. Uh, I don't want to get into it. But I'm sure you've heard that before. And I was wondering if you would say a little bit about that, why he would say something like that and what that means to you. You see, uh, I think the idea or the importance, the emphasis of Jung uh, gave on his, his ideas was to uh, develop, to find um, the, the individual, huh? yeah. to find your own way this that's young to find your own way mm -hmm. not to be like young i mean to to to, to smoke the pipe to right. make a very ridiculous example or uh, laugh like him or, or all these things this is not important the important thing is to find your own way that's that's the basic idea mm -hmm. but he he is a guide, right? A teacher. It's a guide. Yes. Yes. And uh, uh, you, you see, that's that's the 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 the, the, the thing. When I uh, met the famous Italian filmmaker Federico Fellini, with whom I made later apprenticeship, and he asked me, uh, "Is there a monument of you in Zurich?" And I said, no, there is not. He was terribly disappointed. Mm -hmm. Of course, I, oh, I'm also disappointed, but in a way I'm also glad right. because the idea is not to make of Jung a monument of stone. He was a living creature and, uh, and a, living, a, a man alive. And that's what I remember that even <clears throat> in that, in, during that hour that I spent with him, I saw that he was sometimes bitter, not being recognized, not being understood, mm -hmm. and so on. So he was not uh, uh, the, the holy man, you know, uh, to become a monument. Right, right. But I do consider myself Jungian, and it's based on his ideas, his research, and his teachings. Um, I don't look at him as a holy man, um, but I do espouse his teachings and, and his ideas. And I'm wondering if at the end of his life, do you think he had any idea that his psychology would live on and be as big and as widespread as it is today? I, it's difficult to answer. Mm -hmm. You know, there is also, I mean, of course, it's wonderful to see that uh, Jungian psychology developed and it's uh, widely spread. And so, but <clears throat> I heard also the story that one day there was uh, it, uh, maybe one of the first international congresses of Jungian psychology and the 
the Ernst Bernhardt, the, who was the first uh, Jungian analyst uh, who had to leave Germany because he was a Jew, and he was in Italy, and so, and he uh, uh, said to Jung, you, you see all these colleagues, these Italian analysts, and then it seems that Jung said, I see it with terror. Mm. That the quantity did not impress him. It was I the <laughs> I did hear you say in a lecture that when when somebody had asked you about imitating Jung, you said, "Become the one you are meant to be." And to me, that's at the root of what we do in analysis and at the core of Jungian psychology. And I think that that possibly gets overlooked. And would you tell us what you mean by become the one you were meant to be? Yeah, you see, uh, if I if I look back uh, on my life, uh, okay, I had at a certain point, I had the idea that I wanted to be a musician, a cellist, a famous cellist, mm -hmm. uh, one. and what happened? Um, even at the age of, uh, what was I, was uh, 27, I, I continued to play and even to teach the cello, but my main direction was now to study Jungian psychology. Who had imagined that? Right. Was, was that uh, the, the idea that I become who I was meant to be? I didn't know that. And even later, uh, then when I when I was at the end of my Jung uh, uh, in Institute studies, um, I had the desire to go back to something artistic again. Not, no, no. I did. I just couldn't imagine now the whole week only listen to to, to clients. Right. And so I. Uh, I had to, uh, developed the idea that I wanted to go somehow into film work. Mm -hmm. And I became, after some years, a, a documentary filmmaker at the same time. And did I, did I, uh, is this now what I, I'm, I meant to be? And then, you see, then in 90, maybe it was 90, uh, 84, one day I went to see a film called Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. It was a wonderful film by the famous Japanese filmmaker Oshima. And at the end, I saw it. the film was based on a novel by Lawrence van der Post. Well, I should have known him, but I didn't because he was often in Zurich. And so I started to read his books, and I wrote to him, I met him, and, and all this was uh, uh, happened in a time I was already 53. I imagine 53, all of a sudden, I never had the idea to go to Africa, and it opened a, a completely new door mm. to a completely new world for me. So, yeah, so life... Life, uh, yeah. <laughs> so this was just random. I mean, so were you practicing as an analyst while you decided, at the time that you decided to pursue filmmaking? 
Yes, when I when I uh, so to say emigrated to to Rome, it was with the idea that I would like to try to get in touch with Fellini, who was a a fervent uh, admirer of Jung. But at the same time, I started also um, to see clients there because uh, I, I had to earn a little bit of money. Mm. But then when I, uh, when uh, after uh, some problems uh, Fellini had, uh, he had, he had a, a, a real crisis in his uh, creative life. Um, when he restarted re filming again and did uh, Satyricon, I stopped. Uh, I couldn't see his clients anymore because I did a kind of apprenticeship with him. But how did that relationship start? How did you get to actually meet such a famous film director? Yeah, you see, that is also an interesting story because first I thought, okay, uh, uh, I did it in, in an awkward way. I, I went to his office and uh, gave him some photos of a friend and thought maybe by chance I will meet him, but it didn't happen. So um, uh, I was given by a, 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 a lady who was, so to say, my uh, uh, landlady in, in Rome, she said, why don't you call him? And I called him. And when there was an assistant of Fellini on the phone, and at the very moment I said, I am a Jungian analyst from Zurich, his, the assistant's voice changed. Mm -hmm. And I had an appointment the following day. And Fellini immediately uh, treated me in an incredibly uh, friendly way, and uh, after a few uh, days or weeks, I he invited me to see him uh, because Jung meant, meant so much to him. Mm -hmm. and, and had you known that when you became interested in Fellini? Had you known of his affinity for Jung and the fact that he was in analysis himself? Yeah, because at the time, um, his films, uh, Eight and a Half mm -hmm. and uh, Juliet of the Spirits, uh, were shown in the cinemas. And both films are uh, really influenced by a, a, a Jungian look. And then I do not know how I knew that he was in analysis with, the, with, with, with the Dr. Bernhard. Okay. So I thought maybe that would be the bridge that I could, because there, there was no film school in Switzerland, nothing. You know? I had no connections. Mm -hmm. so, so, so to say, Jung, Jungian psychology was the bridge which enabled me to get accepted with, um, by Fellini. And I smile every time I hear you mention the film Eight and a Half, because I saw that movie at the Jung Center in Chicago many, many years ago. Um, they have a movie night once a month, and they screen that, and I'll, I'll always remember that. So that was a very inspiring, would you say, relationship for you, that you helped him, but he also helped you? So I would say he helps. He helps me. I, I mean, uh, but I, but he was going through a, a sort of crisis at the time, yes, wasn't he? And yes. and you and he threw the I Ching. Would you tell that story? Yes, yes, yes. But you know, I would first of all, of all I would uh, make a statement. I was not his analyst. Right. If if he told me dreams 
and he wanted to talk about his dreams and he wanted to talk about Jung, where he was very curious, but I was not his analyst. Right. right. So that's very important to remember. Okay. But at the moment, when he was just a few weeks before starting a big, big film, which was Satyricon, with enormous preparations, enormous amount of money, uh, he was in deep crisis. He had, he was afraid he could not do this film for this or that reason. And we were in Rome and he was driving uh, in, in my car and he said, let's stop here at the forum. And he threw the coins on, on, on the carpet in my little old car and uh, wanted to see how the signs were. And they were negative. Mm. And he had a very, very negative dream at the same time. Mm. And so he wrote a letter to his producer and cancelled everything, which was an act of sincerity and of enormous courage. Yeah. Because he was attacked. And of course, the, uh, people would lose money and, uh, uh, and work and so. Uh, but he just couldn't do it for inner reasons. For inner reasons, yeah. 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 So what happened? Yeah, he he went through a long time. I mean, once he said, uh, "I lose, uh, I lose uh, my professional capacity of a filmmaker because I'm not working anymore." I mean, it took about two years until he finally got out of that crisis. He was ill, and uh, and 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 then he. Uh, decided finally, finally to drop that film which he wanted to make when I met him. Mm-hmm. And he switched into a completely other world, Satyricon. Mm-hmm. And that allowed him to free himself of of his problems in a way, mm-hmm. of his past. So what would you say of creative illnesses like that on how we are encouraged to try to make them go away, um, cheer up, or plow through. Instead, he listened to his inner voice and the signs, right, or the symbols, I should say, uh, around him. Yeah, you, you see, I mean, I mean, Fellini in that sense would be an example because he was an immensely creative filmmaker mm-hmm. and when you, your creativity comes to an end, so to say, this is, is a tragedy, huh? and, and so you are you are end up in the desert, and uh, and he was crossing the desert, and he uh, he had a dream book, and uh, that dream book is published, by the way, and I could later, I discovered only after Fellini's death, that he had a, a dream book. But then I, I remembered certain dreams he had told me. I saw them, I discovered them in his book. Yes, and, and that book is available, and it was just republished on the occasion of his 100th birthday this year. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, of course, the dreams he told me are just in that period between uh, when I met him, 66, and... Uh, and uh, let's say 68 when he started Satyricon, then afterwards uh, I think he, he was busy with his film and could not 
uh, he, so to say, he, he came out of his crisis and could and uh, could could be creative again. Huh? So it's it's uh, uh, to answer your question, he the way he went through that creative crisis is an example of what we in maybe in on a smaller level what happens to us can happen to all, all of us so. and and what is it it's different for for each person what causes um, the kind of the creativity to dry up or go underground for a while and us not to be able to access it maybe maybe many people who go into uh, or go who are forced uh, to go into a, a Jungian analysis, analysis mm-hmm. might be because they, in one or another way, they are stuck. Huh? Yeah, they are stuck, and uh, and there comes the important message of of, of 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 Jung that you pay attention to what we call the unconscious, what we call the dreams, to that other world. Huh? And here, maybe here is also maybe the the moment to talk about something which is you know that later I went to Africa, yeah, and uh, and especially Southern Africa, South Africa, and I saw that especially among the black population, the dreams are alive. They have what I call. Uh, uh, dreaming is part of life. It's not something you discover or you cultivate once you go to see a shrink. Right. Uh, and and this is what what uh, what Jung's message might most important message might be that we should also consider our dreams, take it in account, and make them part of our life. This is something which in the African culture, not only, in many indigenous cultures, is much more alive than in our westernized westernized civilization. Mm -hmm. And I just want to mention that on this podcast, I like to focus on the classically trained Jungians. And I heard somebody ask you, what is the classical Jungian approach? And you said it is having a rapport with the unconscious, with our dreams, with our ancestors, and having that constant dialogue and negotiation with our ancestors. And now is that something that you learned in Africa? So let's talk about how you wound up traveling to Africa, because really the subject that I want to cover is the African roots of Jungian psychology. Yes, you see that, uh, I mean, I mentioned it before, uh, uh, it was Lawrence Van der Post, Mm -hmm. uh, that film, and then when I met him, um, and I discovered his books, and so I got fascinated. Let's back up a little bit, because there's some listeners that might not know who he is. So who was Lawrence Vanderpost? Lawrence Vanderpost was born in South Africa in 1906. And uh, he was one of uh, a big family. and uh, But he was all, apparently always a kind of dreamer. And people... Uh, 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 
he ridiculized him because he was a dreamer. So he was in a one way, in a, in a way, he was born Jungian. Okay, and, and he uh, knew Jung, didn't he? He then, because his wife Ingrid went in 1948 to Zurich to study Jungian psychology. And, and so Lawrence van der Post came also to, to, to Zurich and met Jung. And he describes this uh, meeting in his book uh, uh, on T.G. Uh, uh, Jung and, and the story of our time, mm -hmm. the way he met him and how he was impressed by him. And, uh, and so he, whenever he... Uh, he had the possibility of maybe going out to Africa or coming back from South Africa because he then uh, lived in London. He uh, stopped and uh, uh, he he was he became what he called himself. He was a uh, Jung's messenger boy. Oh, his African messenger boy. Oh, but, I see. Because um, Jung himself had the great nostalgia of Africa. He yes. had this wonderful. Difficult but wonderful experience in uh, Africa in 1925, 1926. Mm -hmm. And uh, he always uh, maybe hoped, I don't know if he had the, the desire to go back, but he never went back. Mm -hmm. But um, he liked to talk with Van der Post about Africa. And I mean, uh, in, in his later writings and uh, teachings and so, uh, his experience or, uh, and experiences of, of Africa, uh, he mentions many, many, many times. It was uh, also for him a, a, a decisive turning point in his life. Did his wife become an analyst? Yes. She did not graduate, but uh, she studied there. And uh, I do not know exactly the details. She did not have the diploma from Zurich. But she then uh, worked also as an analyst. What was her name? Ingrid Griffith. Lawrence Vanderpost was, he, he passed away, I believe, in 1996. He was a close friend of Prince Charles. Yes. And he is the godfather of Prince William. Correct. So, and I, I had read that uh, Prince Charles looked at him as his, quote, spiritual guru. And... So you said, yes. you had told me earlier that meeting him was a turning point in your life. And how so? Can you just ask again? Yeah, when you met Lawrence Vanderpost, because before meeting him, you had read his books and, and you were greatly... Yes, it was a turning point. Turning point in your life. Yeah. And it, that, that's a pretty heavy thing to say. So how, how, did, how was he... How did he affect you? Uh, I mean... It's, it's on one uh, side it was his personal um, influence on me meeting this man who was a uh, very sensitive and for instance he, he was not an analyst but I must I can confess that I every once in a while I told him a dream especially in connection with my African uh, interests mm -hmm. and hope to go there and he he remembered the dreams uh, after years. Mm, and that's wonderful. He made as uh, astonishing associations, mm -hmm. huh? Mm -hmm. And 
And then came the coincidence that at the same time, um, a few years later, after I met Lawrence, um, Vera Buhrman, the grand old lady of South African uh, Jungian psychology, Mm -hmm. invited me to teach there in Cape Town. And uh, so I I went there and I I, I, I met the the country and at the same time I was invited to go on a wilderness trail with the famous conservationist Yen player who also was a uh, admirer not only of Lawrence van der Post but of Jung. So we went on a wilderness trail and uh, Yen player sh- showed us uh, the famous rock paintings of the Bushmen and he suggested that I, I make a, a documentary film on that. And so I, I discovered that world. You see, the you you go in 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 you walk in the landscape of South Africa, Southern Africa, and it is like an open air museum. There are all over the places. There are hundreds of 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 little caves, shelters, mm-hmm. where they painted, and you and and this was so to say the uh, the first testimony of of the human being's imagination. All the were painted and now you must imagine what that means that the human brain the human spirit for the first time not only sees a lion but can also make a design mm-hmm. it's an enormous uh, uh, step in consciousness also mm-hmm. all this led to my interest in uh, in the in the in the bushman Later in the Black Healers, and uh, and let's say the the man who brought who was the who opened the door to all this was Lawrence van der Post. So Jung did visit Africa in 1925, 1926. Yes, I mean he 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 started in October 25, 1925, and he came back uh, in March. Wow. So that was several months. And, and he was with Peter Baines, who made a film. So there was a lot of filmmaking going on at this point. I mean, yeah, but it's, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's very short. Um, it's, it's just a little clips, you know, I little mean, clips. And, and you had told me that you see the, him. Yeah, you see Jung there in Africa, yeah. and that the best footage obtainable is in Lawrence Vanderpost's film. Exactly. Yes. And th- I found out that that is available at the Library of Congress here in the United States. Uh, on what kind of uh, is it a DVD or is it a, no? A- it's not. You have to actually physically go to the Library of Congress and uh-huh. and uh, view it there. So. So you said that you were greatly influenced by Vanderpost, and did you travel with him through Africa? No. no. You see, I had a secret hope when I met him. Mm-hmm. That was uh, in 1984 for the first time. I secretly hoped that I could do some film work with him because right. he had done film work with other people. Then he was, um, what was he? He was... Uh, um, seventy, or well over seventies, and he said, "Oh, you know, I'm too old." Which was not true at all. Mm-hmm. 
because he, he he went many times to Africa after that. But he said, you must meet Yen Player. And you must go and see if you can make a documentary with him on a on a what is called a wilderness trail to 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 go into a part of a of a game reserve to without cars without roads uh, with the, the wild animals to, to, to be careful yeah you know to respect nature and so uh, and to have that experience and. When the uh, Jung Institute in Cape Town was founded, uh, Lawrence van der Post and the end player took, uh, were, were part of it. Oh, they, really? they wanted the, the, the students to go at least once on the wilderness and to have that experience, mm-hmm. that be part of the training, imagine. It was then thrown out of the, of the regulations and just only recommended. Oh. And Van der Post and the uh, player were very furious about that. Mm-hmm. But that's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. And in the DVD of your 85th birthday lecture that I mentioned earlier, you do include footage of Van der Post yes. speaking about his time with the Bushmen of the Kalahari. And he mentioned something very interesting. He says the people in the desert, they talk about the two hungers, the big hunger and the little hunger. Yes. Would you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, of, of course, so to say, the little hunger would, would be the concrete hunger. You 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 need uh, you need uh, to eat. Eh? Yeah, yeah, and this is not so easy in the desert or, or in the half desert, uh, and for uh, hunter and gatherers, um, they, they, to 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 kill an animal. Is is quite is an adventure, an experience. It's something special, and so you are also grateful if you succeed in doing so. So that's one thing. But then you have what what you what Lawrence Van der Post thought so or told us in such an impressive way: the big hunger, the great hunger for spiritual things and for meaning, for meaning, yeah, for stories. I mean, if you take away the story of a, of people, you take away their soul. So now, is that something I'd like to hear about what you learned in your travels through Africa and how you said that all of Jung's work is there. It's there in the African healing system. Yeah, in a way, you know, the, uh, the concept of Jungian psychology uh, are not invented out of the blue. They are, uh, if you go back, uh, it's okay, Freud started it in a way, and then Jung, uh, of course, amplified the whole thing, uh, the importance of dreams. But if you uh, speak with African healers, and apparently in the, in the whole of South Africa, there are 25,000 Black healers. So there might be some some charlatans, not serious people like everywhere, but it is a kind of mixture between a medical doctor, a priest, a psychologist, and for them, when Vera Buermann met her, her, her counterpart, a black healer, and the black healer said, if my clients do not dream, 
I cannot treat them. Vera Buerman said, then we are colleagues. Huh? Yeah. So the importance of dreams is something we share with, the, with that culture. Uh, and that there are big dreams, great dreams, archetypal dreams, and that there are small dreams. All this is also um, in, 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 in Africa, you, you see the same. They distinguish, they have special words for big dreams and small dreams. You see that when Jung says, the unconscious corresponds to the mythic land of the dead, the land of the ancestors. Mm. We call it the unconscious, which is just a word mm -hmm. for some. And the land of the ancestors means our heritage, our fathers, grandfathers, and then it goes back and back and back and back until you have forefathers whose faces we don't know anymore. Right. So see, this, this is so to, uh, so to say the, the archetypal foundation, uh, and it's this, it's uh, it's the same. They call it the land of the ancestors. They dialogue. They um, have uh, an exchange, may with 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 their ancestors. It's something we. It's difficult for us to understand. Right because we tend not, not to, but it's also alive today. I mean, it's not just the no. land of the ancestors. They're um, well, it is alive today, today, today. They, they have constantly this presence of the ancestors. Yes. And when, when Jung talks about active imagination, so to say, to have a dialogue with inner figures, it is mm. very... So I see active imagination, Dialogue with the ancestors, something. So when there you, are parallels. There are parallels. When you talk of transference, huh? transference, uh, Vera Buerman says that the difference between the African and the Western way is they act out what we talk about. Mm -hmm. They act out. So trans, we talk about transference. Huh? The Bushman, the Bushman healer, when he has a trance stance, he pulls out, so to say, the sickness of the sick person and transfers it to himself and then gets rid of it. it it's very concrete. Mm. So, so even, even the concept of transference has its roots back in, 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 in the past of, of these indigenous people. And uh, even something else, we talk about animals and anima. Mm -hmm. And I came across a, uh, a, a tribe called Baul, Baule. They say they have, for instance, a woman, she has a spiritual spouse. She has a, a, a wooden figure. A, a wooden figure. Yeah. Okay. And she says, I quote, I have a spirit husband. Mondays, I don't sleep with my husband. She sleeps with, with that man. Mm. What does he, but that's a, uh, so to say, this, it's a spiritual, it's, it's, the, it's the, the concrete um, way, what Jung calls animus or animal. Right. Because a, ma a man has then a spiritual spouse, huh? 
So uh, that's astonishing that all these concepts of Jung uh, are based on on the human experience of the past. Now, did he also realize that when he was there? Did he see that when when in his talks? I do not know, but he knows, of course. I mean, he was so much linked to the the so to say the the archetypal roots, and so that he 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 knew uh, he he knew that that everything has its foundation in the past. Huh? That that if if he now exactly. Uh, uh, realized it in the same way as I now described it. I, I do not know. Huh? Uh, I, I wish I could talk to him. Right. <laughs> right. right. But uh, you, it, it wasn't that he went there in the 20s and spent several months there and got these ideas. He had these ideas. He wanted confirmation. He wanted confirmation. Okay. Confirmation. Uh, you know, there is a lot to say about this because... Uh, uh, in a way, he did not get what he wanted always because people were very shy to, to uh, communicate dreams. So in that sense... Uh, you mean his uh, patients or the people he encountered in Africa? No, 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 no. no. He, he just met that tribe, uh, the Algoni, uh, and he was there um, a few weeks maximum. Huh? Mm-hmm. And there was a, a language problem, so... And he tried to communicate, and he says himself he got very few dreams. And you know, the, one of the of the chairmen said, "Well, we don't dream anymore because now the, the district commission from the British district district commission tells us what to, to do. We oh. don't. That this is <laughs> this is in in a nutshell the what is the the loss of." Of uh, of the dream culture, which happened even to them, you see, by the influence uh, influence of, of colonization. Mm. Mm. So you have made several documentary films. Um, you did make one on Lawrence Vanderpost and the Bushmen oh, and their no. stories. Oh, no, you produced I, it. I'm, yeah, I, it was not on Lawrence Vanderpost. Okay. I had just the possibility when Lawrence Vanderpost came to the Jung Institute in 1986, he was 80, he gave three lectures on uh. bush people and the rock paintings and the, that world. And we were lucky because we uh, were fortunate because uh, I could convince a, a producer that we could have a camera and film the whole thing and and the three and a half hours of storytelling of of, of Lawrence on the post is now on 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 DVD. And all of these films that you made are available for sale on your website, and I will provide links to all of those in the show notes for this episode on speakingofyoung.com. And you also made some documentaries about Vera Berman in South Africa, and you often traveled there to lecture at that Jung, Jung Institute, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And would you tell us a little bit about the Congress in Cape Town in 2007? You see, in 2007, I had the privilege that uh, I was allowed to uh, organize three workshops where I tried to uh, bring together Jungian 
analyst with African healers. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a, a small group of, uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight uh, 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 black healers. And then there was an enormous interest from the unions to attend these workshops. And in that sense, it was a success. But what for me was uh, not a success what was that the interest was only from the unions toward these so to say exotic black healers you see but the black healers were not interested in our way okay so it's only much later that I met a black healer who originally was Western trained, uh, she was a, um, she is a, a clinical psychologist who at the age of 40 discovered her own roots and underwent training to mm -hmm. be a healer. And she wrote a, a marvelous thesis on, on the ways uh, women are trained to, to become healers. And on top of that, she was deeply interested in Jungian psychology. Mm -hmm. so that was the beginning of a uh, way of, on a very small level, of a collaboration we had in 19, in 200, in 2016 and 2016, we had small conferences where we had about 15 people coming together and exchanging on an equal level, you see, not we colonizing other people, colonizing right. with Western ideas or mm. human psychology in a one-sided way, but to exchange and to learn from each other. And this um, was then honored uh, in uh, last year in, uh, in, at the International Congress of Human Psychology in Vienna that we, we, we could present the work we've done in a plenary session. And we will continue that. So this was the work that you did in South Africa. This, let's say, I, I, I inspired it. And I was really glad, I was happy, I was fortunate that uh, uh, some of the South African colleagues in Cape Town uh, liked this idea and thought it was important and so we had to, we started that movement together. And in the February issue of mm -hmm. the journal of mm -hmm. Jungian, uh, is, it's the journal of analytical psychology, right? Exactly, yeah. The February issue, you have a, a series of articles. Uh, you wrote one and your colleagues wrote, uh, I think, three others. And would yes. you tell us about those? Yeah. We just, uh, in, in these uh, four small, you know, we had one hour to present our, our uh, what we've done. Okay. And, and each of us uh, spoke for about 12 minutes. And so we, 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 we explained how it happened, how it came about, and what, what, we, what we tried to do, and also in connection with the whole issue uh, about the, what the, the so-called um, racism of Jung, 
which is, uh, I think, a, a one-sided view, because Jung was certainly not a racist. In the contrary, he uh, recognized and appreciated in indigenous people highly, as mm -hmm. you can in 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 uh, Memory's reflection. Yeah, that's huh? what I always thought. Yes. 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 And so we could make uh, a bit uh, of uh, a contribution to that uh, controversy. That controversy, uh, yeah. And I have to say, on a personal note, I was very stunned to learn of this so-called controversy. I myself, um, my mother was born in Italy, and she came to the United States as an immigrant when she was 10 years old. I was born in New York City, a very diverse city. I grew up in a suburb of New York City in New Jersey, very diverse community. I lived in uh, outside of Washington, D.C. for a number of years. I lived in Cleveland for a number of years, and now I live in Chicago. So I've always lived in very diverse cities. And with Jung, I knew of Jung through Memories, Dreams, Reflections, the collected works. Um, he had a lot of Jewish friends, and he traveled the world. And I never, ever thought that there was anything reflecting uh, any kind of racism or even anti-Semitism uh, in his writings. And to hear that people are offended and that they're taking things literally and they're not considering the time in which he wrote is, is so ridiculous to me. And I have no time for that. So I was wondering if you had anything you would like to add about that whole issue, because this is the place where you could speak freely. Yeah. You see, I mean, you, you must really, we must not forget that the time has changed enormously since Jung's time in, in, in Africa. When you see the images that he, with, with his, uh, how do you call this, uh, tropical home, and uh, he, he looks like, uh, a colonial man yes. who goes there, and and the black people who uh, certainly didn't speak a word of English, uh, there had to be a, somebody translated everything, and he he wanted to get some information. He gave them a little bit of money for for, for what they did done. It looks it looks, yeah, it was uh, it was the time when. Uh, all these countries were British colonies. Yeah. And, but Jung went there. And as uh, Blake Burleson, who wrote a, a book on Jung and Africa, right, Jung lived through that, all this, like what is in uh, so, uh, anthropology called, he was a pat participant observer. He did not, he went there and he underwent, he participated and he was changed by the experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was changed. I mean, he was conscious of, or let's say, the danger, what, what, is, what is called, you go black, you know, you are so fascinated that you, you want to be like, like the African, huh? and, and, and then you lose your own route. 
he was conscious that he had to go back and to do the work here where with his problems here. Mm -hmm. What would you say about us being white, looking at the black man as other? Yeah, but we we have this other. We now look. What what is the big difference between the Jung Institute in in the time when I was studying and now? I'm, there's a Jung Institute now. There's ISAP, and so I'm working at ISAP and so mm -hmm. there. When when I would give a lecture or a seminar, at least half, if not more, are people other other people from Asia, mm -hmm. from China, from Japan. Mm -hmm. from and so on. And uh, not, uh, we, we haven't gotten black people really, maybe one or two, so, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not as, uh, in my time it was Americans, English, Germans, Swiss, Swiss mm -hmm. people. That was already diversity, yeah? Jung was Swiss. Yes. And so you can't be more than one thing. <laughs> no. Right? And, and, so, but if you if you if you, if you dig deep, yeah, are, yeah, you yeah. know, as, uh, as many uh, Africans say, if finally we have the same red blood. Hmm? Right, right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to get to the bottom of this and 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 talk about the difficult parts. Is it wrong for us as white people to? For instance, I was told a while back, a long time ago, that if I dreamt of a black person, that was my shadow. Well, mm -hmm. that's pretty literal. Um, yeah. And now that might be offensive to black people. Now, what if a black person dreams of a white person? Is that their shadow? Because it is other? They are not shadow because they're black they're shadow because they are not what i look like um, first of all you never forget that it, the shadow might be a, a good thing because maybe there are good things in the shadow huh? there you go right yeah i'll tell you a story okay num, num Lisa, who is the black healer who was with us in vienna who was the first person I really met in South Africa who was a, a clinical psychologist, a black healer, and interested in Jungian psychology. She told us that she had dreamt of white people. And at the time before Mandela was liberated, that was a bad dream. Of oh, white people, that's bad. And then after, um, Mandela came to power and, and the situation changed. Mm -hmm. The dream was a good dream. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's, um, she told that in Vienna and everybody laughed because it, it, it's relative. But I mean, that I, I dream of a, of a black man. Yeah, he has things I, don't, I do not have. No? Right. And maybe I should develop. Right. I went to Italy, and uh, people told me here in Switzerland when I was a child, you don't speak with your hands. You shouldn't move mm -hmm. with your hands. Mm -hmm. And I went much later, I went to Italy, and everybody speaks with his hands. Right. So I, 
I, I was liberated, you see. Mm -hmm. That's only one small ridiculous example that maybe in another culture you can, you can so to say, liberate what is mm, uh, in, in, in your shadow. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So is the, the problem that some people had with Jung's writings that he used the word primitive? Look, what does it mean, primitive? Yeah. It, it means first. Huh? Mm -hmm. Primus means first. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, primitive means uh, in uh, nowadays, so to say, uh, less developed. Right. Less developed. Right. But uh, very often that word means primordial. Uh, but isn't it the truth that there are some cultures that are not as developed, advanced as others? Of course, of course. But it it depends what is developed and not developed. Maybe maybe uh, uh, a certain kind of scientific way of way of thinking is not. As developed in uh, uh, among uh, a, a, a African tribe as it is here, but maybe they have a sensation or intuition which is much more developed than mine. Mm -hmm. huh? mm -hmm. See, right? Yeah. And so, as far we, as we developed, we developed, we uh, the Western man has developed certain. Uh, functions you can even call that uh, Jung's typological functions like thinking and sensation in a extreme way at the cost of others' right. intuition or feeling. Right, and so as far as uh, what we call black people in the United States, we call them African Americans, yes. and as far as there not being a lot of African American Jungian analysts, yes. there's that seems to be all of a sudden an issue. I actually only know of one. I have invited her onto this podcast multiple times, and she not only she she hasn't declined; she just won't won't respond. Yeah. And so I've made the effort. It's just like I also get criticized for not interviewing a lot of women. I probably ask more women than men to do episodes with me, and they either decline, or they just completely ignore the request. So I am not singling out a certain type of person to have on this podcast. I invite a lot of people and I wind up doing episodes with the ones who are willing to do them. But as far as training more um, people of other cultures um, from different backgrounds, the Jung Institutes are open to that. And it's not for everybody as far as interest. So what is the status of that? You are at ISAP Zurich. Would you tell us a little bit about the issue there? Maybe here the issue is not so much. I mean, 
uh, in the States, you have uh, a certain percentage of black people, right. Latino people. So uh, in in South Africa, there is a, a the, the, it's the other way around. There is a minority of white people and many black people. And what I say now for South Africa might also be uh, valid for the states, that uh, the one-to-one kind of analysis we are used to uh, yeah. is, is maybe something very foreign to uh, the black mentality, where the community the the group the family is most important so we have to consider all this and that's why uh, for instance in i think in south africa what we are doing that there is a dialogue on 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 the equal level that we see now there are two black leaders two women who are going to share their knowledge with the black, with a white analyst in Cape Town, okay. and even with the Chinese, mm-hmm. so they know the mentality. And uh, maybe then, then, then one can see if is this one-to-one uh, kind of uh, psychotherapeutic work, is this also for the black people? possible, necessary, or do we have to to be open that, that they do it in a different way? That might be the main reason why there are so few black analysts in the States. I do not think it is because of Jung's writings that there are few black analysts mm-hmm. in the States. Maybe that might might influence one or the other the other person, sure. But it is a, a different mentality we have to consider. That's why we should not colonize our way. Mm-hmm. We must have a dialogue, an exchange on an equal level. Mm-hmm. And that's happening now. Okay, we, we try. Yeah. We try. We right. try. Right. Yeah. There are a few things that I neglected to mention. Um, This always happens during a recording. So I'm going to now start at the end of each episode to go back and fill in some of the things I neglected to mention. When we were talking about Lawrence Vanderpost, he was in the British Army. But what I didn't mention is that he was actually in a Japanese prison camp for three and a half years. And I often wonder if that is what affected his writings thereafter, and, and you know what that did to him. Of course, of course, mm-hmm. this was probably a big turning point in his own life. Right, and uh, there, there are there are people who uh, who uh, criticize or attack Lawrence on the Post. There was a biography written by a man who who said that, that uh, Lawrence invented a lot of things and he was a liar and so on and so on. Oh, my so goodness. On. But if you see what he has done and what his co-presence tell what he has done, you can only uh, uh, say Lawrence wanted to post it 
was a great man in these difficult circumstances. And why I always had such a, a admiration for him was because he for, was for me an example of uh, having a, a balance between action and reflection in one's life. Now, not only reflection, but also action. Not only action, but also reflection. That maybe uh, I idealize him, but nevertheless, it's, it's always, uh, as we said at the beginning, uh, we look up to certain people. They can be an example for us. They can right. inspire us. I also heard you say that we need spiritual parents. Exactly. That's why I like in English the word godfather or godmother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't have it in uh, in, in Ger Ger German. It's not the same. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it, so it's it, it, because we okay. We have we have our concrete fathers or mothers and so, and uh, maybe the, it's not always ideal. <laughs> right. Uh, or or, or it's, it's different from what we what we are born for, what we meant to be. Huh? And then we find a spiritual father. I mean, there is the Swiss tradition that the boy has two godfathers and one godmother. Oh. And the girl has two godmothers and one. So you see, the, the, the own, the, the masculinity or the femininity is strengthened. I see. I see. I, I got two godfathers. Okay. Okay. I didn't know about that. That's interesting. And speaking of spiritual parents, we also did not mention much of Marie-Louise von Franz, who you knew. Yes, yes, yes. She was uh, an incredible teacher, mm -hmm. and of course, writer. And uh, I did the second part of my anal analysis with her. And maybe I can almost to conclude, I could tell you what 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 because I forgot everything okay of the analysis with her. Sure. Except one thing. One thing, okay. You know, when I was going towards the end of my uh, union training, I had this idea to go into filmmaking. But how to do it? Because there was no film school, nothing. And I I was thirty five. And then uh, uh, there was a, a small film company in uh, in Switzerland, and they made a competition. They said, uh, you can send in a little story, invent a story for a film, send it in, and the best one will maybe realized. Okay. So I thought, okay, maybe that's an idea that I could uh, begin. You know? And so I decided to write that story, but I was... Not lazy, but I was lingering, and lingering, and lingering. Is that the right word? Yes, lingering. Huh? Yes. No, not 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 going to to do it. And then I went to see Michael de France, and she said, "Now you do it, and when you've done it, you can come back." Mm. So that was for me the lesson, you know. Dreams are bubbles, unless you realize them. There is a saying in in time, uh, in shame. Dreams are bubbles. Yes, they are bubbles, unless 
you make them real. And that was her lesson she gave me. To go out there and take action. Take action, do it. Yes, it was difficult, but I did it. Okay, it didn't help me very much because <laughs> the story was never realized. Mm -hmm. I, I then found my way with uh, Fellini, but, but I mean, it was a, I had to do something and not just dream about it. Dream in the double sense of the word. Huh? Right, right. Yes. Well, thank yes. you so much for your time today. It was an honor to speak with you, Dr. Amen. Thank you. Please visit the website, Speaking of Jung, that's J U N G, dot com for more information on what was discussed in this episode. There you'll also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to this episode on your Amazon Echo device simply by saying, Alexa, play Speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts or TuneIn. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. You can help support Speaking of Jung at no extra cost to you just by shopping at Amazon.com through any of the Amazon links on our website or by registering through our links for any of the online video courses offered by the Jung Society of Washington, D.C. You can start these courses anytime, go at your own pace, and you'll have lifetime access to the material. You can find all of the details on the courses page at speakingofjung.com. So with special thanks to Chiron Publications and ISAP Zurich, this is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Jung.